Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Wichita Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to share some really simple things with you. You know, I've, I've been sharing this now for 45 years and I've never gotten tired of it. This is what totally turned my life around. And, I, and it's just simple things, but I find that most people do not understand these things. And this just changes people's lives when they understand it. Let me just real quickly say that by way of introduction, 45 years ago, next Saturday, a week from Saturday, the 23rd of March, is when the Lord changed my life. I'd already been born again when I was eight years old. So that was 55 years ago. But on uh, March the 23rd, 1968, when I was 18 years old, I had this miraculous encounter where God just showed up. I mean, God supernaturally manifested Himself to me. It's a long story, but uh, I was a religious Pharisee. I didn't mean to be, but I just got, I got born again when I was eight and I started seeking the Lord. And I, I don't know if it was said in these words, but it's the way I took it that God was going to love me proportional to how good I was and how holy I was and whether I studied the Word and did all of these kind of things. So, man, I was holier than anybody I knew. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, I'll be 64 in April, and I've never said a word of profanity in my life. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted coffee. And I know some of you are thinking, coffee? Why are you putting coffee and booze together? I'm not saying coffee's a sin. You got a scripture to stand on for drinking coffee. It says in Mark 16, 18, you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you, amen. I'm just saying, man, I, you know, if, if they would have said quit chewing bubble gum, I would have done it if I'd have thought that that's what God wanted me to do. I have sought God my entire life. I never went through a period of rebellion or any of that stuff, but I began to think that God was going to love me proportional to how good I lived. And in case you hadn't connected these dots, that's the way that 99% of all Christians think. And so I was really smug about how holy I was and how good I was living. And I thought that God owed me something. And I expected God to accept me based on my own goodness. And anyway, March the 23rd, 1968, God showed up in a prayer meeting. This will show you how religious I was because on Saturday night for years, every Saturday night, I would meet and we would pray from 10 o'clock until 12 o'clock. That's what an 18-year-old kid did. That's what I did for fun was have prayer meetings. And uh, anyway, we were praying. It's a long story, but God showed up. And in just a moment, it's like he just pulled a curtain back and I knew things intuitively. He just showed me myself, not for the purpose of rejecting me or because he was mad at me, but he just showed me that all of my self-righteousness was like a filthy rag. And I mean instantly. I just knew that compared to God's standard of holiness, and that's the only standard that God holds anybody to, that I was, uh, I was way, way short. I mean, I saw myself as the most vile sinner. Some of you may have gone out and done terrible things. You may have murdered, plundered. Who knows what you've done? Nobody in here probably has ever felt more guilty and guilt-ridden 
and sinful than I did because I think the worst sin of all is the sin of self-righteousness. I think that's worse than homosexuality. I think that's worse than anything. You know, Jesus went in and fellowshiped with the prostitutes and with the people that were outcast, and he loved the sinner. The only people that Jesus ever rebuked were religious people who trusted in their own goodness and thought that they were good enough God owed them something. And man, God just shined a light on me and showed me what a hypocrite I was and how self-righteous I was. And some of you may disagree or not believe that this is the truth, but the truth is with the theology that I had at the time, I thought God was going to kill me. I thought I was going to be struck dead because when I saw how vile I was, I thought that's the first time God had seen it. I, before that, I thought I was a really great person. And when, God, when I saw all of this, I thought God was going to kill me. I, really, I was told that God just wanted to kill my dad when I was 12 years old. And um, I thought God was going to strike me dead. But before he killed me, I was going to confess everything I could think of. Man, I just started repenting. I started turning myself inside out. And I hadn't done so many outward things. What I was confessing were the sins of my heart. You know, Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you hate in your heart, you've committed murder. I began to confess every rotten thought and feeling that I'd had. I turned myself inside out in front of all of the leaders of this church and my best friends. I just ruined any reputation that I'd ever had. It was gone. And for about an hour and a half, I just turned myself inside out and confessed all of these things, hoping that if I confessed them and asked for forgiveness, that when God killed me, I'd go to heaven instead of hell. That's what I was thinking. And anyway, it's a long story, but after I did that, there was nothing left to say. I confessed everything I'd ever done, ever thought, or everything, anything I could ever do. Amen. I confessed it all. And I was just laying there in front of these people, totally devastated, you know, just waiting to see what God was going to do. And what changed my life was just instead of rejection, I had supernatural love from God to come over me. And for four and a half months, I was caught up in the love of God. I didn't eat or sleep consciously for four and a half months. I never slept more than an hour at a time. I never sat down and ate a meal. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't function. Man, God loved me. I was just instantly changed. Now, as good as all of that is, four and a half months later, that wore off. And you know what? You cannot live on that level that I'm describing. I've had people listen to me say this and they come up and they say, would you please pray for me that God would do something like that? No, I won't. It'll kill you. It's really not a healthy thing. Not, I've met many people who've had something similar to that and if you aren't careful, you'll become addicted to it like a dope thing and you'll try and get another fix and God doesn't want you to live on that level. You can't exist on that level. God used that to get my attention, and what it did was show me that, God, you're holy, you're awesome. And for the first time, I was in the presence of God, and I saw His pure holiness and realized that all of my goodness was worth nothing in His presence. And that made a huge impact on me. But after the emotion of it wore off, then panic set in because I didn't know what I did to cause that to happen. I didn't know what I did to cause it to leave. I didn't know what I could do to get it back, and I didn't think I could live without it. 
And I began, in, I got drafted and sent to Vietnam and I spent 13 months in Vietnam asking God to kill me, not because of Vietnam or anything, but just I had tasted heaven and I wanted it back. And I figured that I just needed to die and go to heaven. And then I nearly got killed twice in one day in Vietnam. I mean, by all accounts, I should have been dead. And uh, I decided I wasn't as excited about dying as I thought I was. <laughs> and I thought, I really don't want to die like this. I said, and so how do you adjust? I didn't know what to do. And I mean, I, if any of you were ever in Vietnam, there was just so much ungodliness and dope and booze and, and uh, sexual stuff and things like this that I didn't know how to handle it. And so the only way I could survive, I, I stayed for a while in a bunker that was wallpapered with nude, pit, nude pictures of women on the ceiling and the walls. You couldn't even open your eyes without seeing something pornographic. So I just opened my Bible and stuck my nose in it like this. And for 15 hours a day for 13 months, all I did was read scripture. And you couldn't read something and then just look up and think about it. You just had to keep your nose in the Bible. And I just studied the Word and studied the Word and studied the Word. And God spoke to me through these verses right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and this revolutionized my life. Part of what was happening, I didn't understand how a holy God, I had seen the holiness of God like I, I don't think most people have seen the holiness of God the way that I had. And when I saw it, I immediately recognized how inferior and how corrupted we are at our very best. Some of you don't agree with that opinion. And you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. And the truth is that compared to God, all of sin comes short of the glory of God and you are not worthy of anything from God on your own. And when I saw that, I couldn't understand. God, I had experienced God's supernatural love, but I couldn't understand how a holy God could love me or anybody because we don't deserve it. And I couldn't reconcile these two. And even though I had experienced it, I would have lost the benefit of that experience if I hadn't have understood these things, this is like a key that when I saw this, it unlocked my brain. It unlocked my heart. It allowed me to understand God and how God deals with us. And this just totally, totally revolutionized my life. So right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God who hath, past tense, reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The word reconciliation means to make friendly or to bring into harmony. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Man, that is one huge statement. The church today does not understand this as a whole. The church today is imputing people's sins unto them. 
The word impute is an accounting term and it means to register, to write down, to put on the books. And basically the average church today is telling people that God is holy and you're a sinner and if you sin, you got to repent of that sin or God's going to judge you. And if you get born again, well then he may not send you to hell because now you're one of his children, but you still aren't going to get your prayers answered. He won't move in your life. You aren't going to have the joy of the Lord because God imputes sin unto you. They wouldn't use that word, but that's exactly what this is talking about, that God holds sin against you. This is saying that the way that God reconciled us unto himself, made us friendly and brought us back into harmony was that he did not impute our sins unto us. God isn't holding your sins against you. God isn't looking at your sins. And I know some of you, it's like your brain's going tilt, like, no, everything I've ever heard is completely contrary to this. I want to try and share with you what God showed me here and how you can understand how this works. It says in verse 17 that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if you study this out in the Greek, it's not talking about that all things are becoming new. It's all things have already become new. You're already changed. I go into churches all the time and I hear people saying, Oh God, make me righteous. Oh God, change my life. Oh God, do these things. That's totally wrong. The truth is that when you got born again, you're already changed. You're as changed as you'll ever get. But some people think, how can this be? Because they look in the mirror and they see things that they don't like. They see gray hairs and sags and zits and <laughs> ugly. And they think, this can't be right. When it says that if you are in Christ, you're a new creature, it's not talking about your physical body. There are scriptures that say that this corruptible must put on incorruption. This, um, this mortal must put on immortality. That's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Your body isn't saved. Your body has been purchased, but it's not redeemed yet. It's not been cashed in for the thing that you want. You are going to get a glorified body. So just by process of elimination, you can tell that it's not your physical body that got saved. If you were still a man before you got saved, you'll still be a man after you get saved. If you were fat before you got saved, you'll still be fat after you get saved. If you were ugly before you got saved, you'll still be ugly after you get saved. Your body doesn't change. Sorry about that, but that's not the part of you that's changed. Old things have not passed away and all things hadn't become new. And it's also not talking about your soul, which is what the Bible calls your inner personality, your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality. If you were stupid before you got saved, you'll still be stupid after you get saved. You know what? If you had bad memories before you got saved, you'll still have bad memories after you get saved. Your body and your soul haven't been changed. And because of this, people will read scriptures like this and they, they either don't pay attention or if they do try and really take the scripture and understand it, then they just come back and they say, the Bible is so hard to understand because the Bible says that if you are in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away, not are going to pass away, but they have passed away and all things have become new. 
And they look at this, and then they look at, their, they look at themselves in the mirror, and then they search their soulish part, their mind and their emotions, and they can't perceive this. They see all kinds of things that aren't the way that they're supposed to be and that they're wanting change. And they just say, well, the Bible is so hard to understand. But here's the key. This is what unlocked my understanding and changed my life, is that you aren't just two parts. Most people believe that functionally, you're only two parts. It's obvious that I've got a physical body. That's the part of me that you're looking at. And it's also obvious that we have an inner person because you can go up to a person and you can touch them and they can feel it in their body, but you could say words to a person and never touch them and they still could feel things. You could make a person cry. You could make a person laugh. And so all of us are aware that we have a personality and emotional part of us that we feel and we're in touch with that. You don't have to do anything. Like if I asked you right now, are you hot or are you cold? <laughs> Anybody paying attention there? <laughs> See, you didn't have to pray about it. You didn't have to say, well, let me pray about it and I'll come back to you tomorrow and tell you what I am. You just instantly know if you're hot or cold. And if I was to say, are you happy or sad? People just instantly know how they feel. You monitor your physical senses, monitor your body and tell you if you've got pain, if you're uh, tired, if you're hot, if you're cold. It monitors your emotions. You can tell how you feel. And it's not something that you have to study. It's just there. You know it. You know how you are. But there is a third part to you, which is the spirit. Here's a scripture for that. It's over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 23, there's many scriptures that make this same point, but this one is just so obvious that you can't miss it. It says in verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the day until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that verse makes it very clear that you have a spirit, soul, and body. My body is a part of me that you're looking at. My soul is my personality, my mental, emotional part. But according to the scripture, there's a third part to us. And Jesus said, I'm not going to take time to turn to every one of these verses because literally there's hundreds of them and I'm just going to go through this. You can either get this teaching or you can buy the book on spirit, soul, and body or look them up yourself, write them down. But Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, he says, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The Word of God is spirit. The Word of God reveals the spiritual realm to us. You know, I could teach on this. I've got about four or five different teachings on this one thing, and I'm just going to mention this quickly because I want to go on, but there is a spiritual world that most of us don't recognize. Like many of you tonight, you've said that you're cold. You know whether the chair is hard. You could tell me how many people, or you could make a guess at how many people are in here. You could give a description of this building, but most people don't look beyond the physical things. But according to the Word of God, there are tens of thousands of angels in here. There are angels all over this place. 
Some of you think, well, I don't know that that's so. Well, that just because you don't know that it's so doesn't mean that it's not so. It's the same thing as television signals. There's television signals in this room. And if somebody says there are not, why aren't there? Because you don't see them. That doesn't mean they aren't here. It just means you aren't real smart. <laughs> there are television signals in this room. There are radio signals in this room. And all you'd have to do is put a television up here and plug it in, turn it on, tune it in. And you know what? You could start seeing and hearing the signal. But the signal exists right now, even though we haven't got anything receiving it. They're here. They're all over the place. There's multiple television signals. There's things that you can't see or perceive with your little peanut brain. I know that that comes as a shock to some people, but there are some things that you don't know. And there are things that exist. They're real. Television signals, radio signals exist. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. And the Bible teaches that there's a spiritual world, that there's angels that follow us. And I could spend a lot of time showing you many, many, many examples of that in Scripture. There are angels in this place, and not only outside of us, but inside of you, there is a spiritual you. It says that he prayed that you would be preserved, spirit, soul, and body. Your body and your soul are being monitored by your senses 24 hours a day. You could be asleep, and if something happened to you, it'd wake you up because you would feel the pain or you would feel cold or something like that. But your spirit cannot be felt. Here's another verse that Jesus used in John chapter 3. It's somewhere around verse 5 or verse 6. He says, that which is spirit is spirit, and that which is flesh is flesh. That was just his way of saying spiritual things can only be perceived in the spiritual and carnal things can only be perceived with your carnal senses. Again, without me going into great depth, I've got a whole album on this. This is an awesome teaching. Actually, everything I teach comes out of this revelation. You can get it. The whole Word of God opens up when you begin to understand this. But I've got a whole album on this that Adam and Eve weren't born with just five senses. They had six senses. Adam and Eve could perceive things with their heart, and that was more real to them than the physical realm. Matter of fact, the Bible says that when Adam and Eve, you know, were in their sinless state, that they were both naked. And when they sinned, the first thing that happened, they realized they were naked, and they made fig leaves, and they covered themselves. You know, there was a lot of things that happened, but the first thing they noticed was that they were naked. It says that in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Do you think that this means that they had been walking around with their eyes closed this, time, this whole time? Certainly not. Their eyes were open, but what this is talking about, they had a sixth sense, which was faith. They could perceive things with their heart. They could see with their heart, and that was so real to them. Now think about this. I know that this is, this is way off the charts, but think about this for a moment. They were so God conscious. They were walking by faith is the New Testament term for it. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. The sad fact is most of us walk by sight and not by faith. But God intended for us to walk by faith and not by sight. They were walking by faith so much. This is how they saw God. This is how they communicated with God. This is how they heard God was in their heart, not with their ears. 
They didn't see him with their eyes. They saw him with their heart. They, the spiritual world was just as real to them as the physical world is to us. And when it says that their eyes were open, that's not talking about that their physical eyes had been closed. It was talking about that they were walking by faith. They were seen by faith and they could see and understand spiritual things. But when they sinned, their spiritual eyes closed and their physical eyes opened up and for the first time they noticed that they were naked. They were so God conscious. They were walking so much by faith that they never even realized that they weren't naked. Think about that. That is amazing. We can't even understand that. I mean, is anybody in here so spiritually minded that you don't even pay attention to whether you put your clothes on or not? <laughs> You might just get up and come to the meeting and not even be dressed because your mind so stayed on the Lord. You know, even if you get that spiritually minded, have mercy on all the rest of us that aren't, amen. <laughs> Please wear your clothes. But Adam and Eve had never even noticed that the other one was naked. They were so God conscious. And again, I wished I had time to explain this let me just give one story real quick, and then I'll get back to where I'm trying to go. But uh, we had a conference in Colorado Springs a number of years ago. There's about 300 people there, and there was a center aisle, and I was sitting right on that place where Daniel is sitting right there, and there was a center aisle beside us, and there was two doors over here on the side, and we were worshiping the Lord, and we were singing that song, Hallelujah, that Daniel sang tonight. And I mean, the presence of the Lord was just so powerful that we just didn't want to quit, and we were just sitting here worshiping the Lord. And uh, I had my eyes closed, and as I had my eyes closed, I didn't see this with my physical eyes. I just saw it in my heart. I saw these two doors that were over here just fling open like that real suddenly, and then they had these closers on them, and they just closed real slowly. Nobody was there, but these doors just flung open. And, and as I was seeing this, excuse me, I said that wrong, but as I saw this, uh, Jesus is the one that flung those doors open, and then he stepped inside, and he just stood there, and those doors closed behind him. And then he walked over, and there was two of my friends from Chicago over here, and he walked over and touched this one woman, and she just fell flat on her face like that with her arms out like this, and she was just spread eagle before the Lord on the floor, just worshiping the Lord. And then there was two people in between her, and, and Jesus went and touched this other woman, and she hit her knees and lifted her hands and just began to worship the Lord. And what I was seeing in my heart was so real to me that I actually opened up my physical eyes to see if I could see it. And the moment I looked over there, those doors just flung open like that, but nobody was there. And then they just closed. Nobody was there. And then I kept watching, and this first woman, she just all of a sudden fell flat on her face, spread eagle on the Lord. And then two people were skipped, and this next woman fell on her knees and began to worship the Lord. And everything that I was seeing with my heart, I could see with my eyes, except I could only see the things that were happening in the physical. I couldn't see Jesus. I couldn't see what was going on in the spiritual realm. And you know what I actually did? I closed my eyes because I could see better with my heart than I could see with my eyes. 
And when I closed my eyes, Jesus came over and stood next to me and spoke some things to me. And then he walked down the aisle and he touched all of these people, people that were students that I knew. And after the service was over, I went up to them and I said, so what happened during that service? And they would start telling me and it was exactly what I heard Jesus telling them. I heard all of these things. Did you know that I believe God made us originally to be like that? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I won't take time to read all of those scriptures, but Paul says, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom or all of these things. I came in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And he says, because the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You have to discern Jesus spiritually. You have to know him by spirit. It says in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. People today try and make in spirit the way that you fold your hands or the way you sprinkle holy water or the way that you look or, you know, the, there's all kinds of things that mean spiritual. The word spirit just means that you're worshiping in the word based on this revelation of the spirit. The words that Jesus speak, they are spirit and they are life. And so to worship him in spirit and in truth, you have to contact him through your spirit. And the reason so many people don't have a vibrant relationship with God is because they're trying to figure him out with their head. They're trying to feel God. They want to feel the presence of God. They want a goosebump to go up and down their spine. They want to see an angel. They're looking for something physical. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. And see, I basically, like most people are, I believe, I was basically ignorant of the spiritual realm. I thought that if I didn't feel it in my physical body or feel it in my emotions, then it didn't exist. But man, I found out that there is a spirit part of me. It's the spirit that was born again by process of elimination. It can't be your body because you still got the same body. It can't be your soul because you still have the same thoughts and personality, but it's your spirit that got changed again. And in your spirit, you became a completely brand new person at salvation. And see, this is the very reason that a lot of people who are going to church today and are being religious think that they're in relationship with God because they're doing the right things. And they think if I'll go to church and if I'll be the best person I can be and if I'll live for God the best that I can, then God is going to accept you based on your actions. That's not true. This is the reason Jesus said in John 3, 3, you must be born again are born from above. And Nicodemus said, what are you talking about? Do we have to enter into our mother's womb and be born a second time? He said, no, there is a birth that is of your mother, but then there is a birth that is from above. And that's in the spirit. When a person truly gets born again, when they have a relationship with God, you become a new person. You get that dead spirit, this nature that caused us to live in sin, taken away from us, and you become a totally brand new person in the spirit. And some people think, well, if that happened, I'd know it. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You have to believe it. You can't feel it. 
And see, this is why every time I minister on this on television or radio, we have a lot of prisoners that start writing into us because they prayed a prayer. They knew their life was messed up. Somebody told them you could be a new creature. So they pray and ask God for help. And then they wake up the next morning and they're in the same prison cell. They're wearing the same uh, prison garb. They're being harassed by the guards. They still have 20 years left on their sentence and they expected everything to become new and they can't see any change. The change isn't in your physical realm. The change is in your heart. I keep pointing to my spirit because John chapter 7, Jesus said that out of your belly would flow rivers of living water. And he goes on to explain, this spake he of the spirit that they that believed upon him would receive. So right here in your belly is where your spirit is. Some of you look like you have more of the spirit than others, but <laughs> it's not true. So when you get born again, you get changed in the spirit. The spirit is the part of, the, of you that's changed, not your mind and not your physical body. And then the rest of the Christian life, Romans chapter 12, verse two says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform there is from the Greek word metamorpho. That's the word that we get metamorphosis from. And if you want to change like a worm spins a cocoon and then comes out this butterfly, if you want to change from something that's earthbound and ugly to something that's beautiful and that can fly, you get transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you get born again, your spirit is completely changed. But you got the same mind. And so the key to the Christian life is to renew your mind and get transformed. Your three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is perfect. It's already changed as Jesus is. That's the way you are in this world. If you get your mind in agreement with it, that's two against one. And your physical body will experience healing, raising from the dead, deliverance, joy, peace, prosperity, all kinds of things. But if you get your soul over here in agreement with your mind and the doctor says you're going to die and all you can do is, but the doctor says I'm going to die. And if that's all you can think, even though you have the life of God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, living in your spirit, it won't release one ounce of that power. Uh, it's according to the way you think. And if you're thinking, well, I'm only human. I'm only a man. What can I do? You're going to die. But I'm not only human. I'm not just a man. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. One third of me is now the power of God. I've got the same power on the inside of me that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's some scriptures that go along with this. Ephesians chapter four, verse 24 says, put on the new man, which is that's what this is talking about. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Put on this new man, which is talking about the saved part of you, which is uh, created in righteousness and true holiness. Man, I could talk for a week and never stop on just all of these things. I'm praying that you're taking this in. But see, I hear people all the time, oh God, make me righteous. What they're talking about is they know that they've sinned. 
they know that they don't treat people the way that they should. They know that they don't pray the way that they should, that they haven't done this. And they're looking at their self-righteousness, your actions. And you think God is looking at yourself and your actions. But the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 6, 16, verse 7, that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on your heart. God is dealing with you in the spirit. If you're going to worship him, you have to worship him in spirit. And in the spirit, that new part of you, you were created righteous and truly holy. You aren't in the process of becoming righteous. You were born again righteous. Now, with your physical actions, you might be getting better and you might be reflecting more and more and more of God and learning some things. There is a self-righteousness and you need that in order to relate to people. If you go out here and speed and the cop pulls you over and he says, you know, you're wrong, he says, no, sir, I found out tonight I'm righteous. <laughs> you know what? Your spirit is righteous, but he will write you a ticket and... You go out and rob a store and say, hey, I'm the righteousness of God. But you know what? You have to have a self-righteousness to be able to exist in this world and relate to other people. So you do need to act right to other people. But God is a spirit and God is looking at you in the spirit, not in your flesh. He does not accept you or relate to you based on your physical body and your actions and your thoughts and your emotions. He relates to you based on who you are in, in the spirit. And if you get born again, you become a brand new person in Christ. And what's that person like? Ephesians 4, 24, it was created righteous and truly holy. Notice it's not like there's a seed planted and you're growing into this. No, you were instantly created righteous. The word righteous means in right standing with God. Man, God looks at you in the spirit. And if you've been born again, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you haven't done that you were supposed to or what you did that you weren't supposed to do. God is not looking at you based on your sin. He is not imputing or holding your sin against you. He relates to you 100% based on whether or not you are changed in your spirit. Is Jesus your Lord? Were you born again? Did you get a new spirit? And even if you act holier than I do, if you are the holiest person in this place, who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? <laughs> All of sin and come short of the glory of God. And if you are standing on your goodness, you might be better than I am, but you still have a spirit that was corrupted. And it says in Ephesians chapter two, you were by nature a child of the devil and you could be the holiest person that ever went to hell but you will go to hell unless you receive this new nature. Christianity is not a set of rules and you follow it. And if you're good outweighs your bad, then God accepts you. Christianity is the only religion, if you want to call it that, it's the only religion on the face of the planet that has a savior. Muslims, they have to save themselves by doing all of these rituals and killing infidels or doing whatever. And others, they have to get a saffron robe and beg for things and deny themselves. And it's all based on their holiness and their goodness. Christianity also has a standard of right conduct, but 
Christianity is the only religion that has a Savior. And we get accepted with God based on whether or not Jesus is our personal Savior. Not just whether or not we acknowledge that He existed, but whether we make our personal commitment to Him and receive Him as our Savior. And when that happens, you become a new person. And then in your spirit, you're a brand new person and you're instantly righteous and truly holy, implying that there is false holiness. You know what false holiness is? All of your goodness, all of your righteousness, that's false holiness. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64, I believe it is, verse 6, somewhere around there, it says that all of our righteousness, that's talking about self-righteousness, is a filthy rag. But in the New Testament, when you get born again, you can't claim that anymore because you aren't in your self-righteousness. You're in your born-again self. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that Jesus has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is now my righteousness. He gave me His righteousness. And if I say, well, all of my righteousness is like filthy rags, I either have to be talking about my self-righteousness or if I'm talking about who I am in Christ, that would be like calling Jesus a filthy rag. I don't have self-righteousness anymore in my spirit. I am the righteousness of God. I was given a righteous, holy nature. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, talking about Jesus, so are we in this world. It didn't say, so are we going to be in the future world. It says, so are we in this world. And yet religion sings about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. Further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand by, why. In the sweet by and by. And man, they just, everything is off in the sweet by and by. But in the rough now and now, you're just stuck. <laughs> you're saved and you're stuck and you're waiting on heaven to go to be with the Lord. But see, that's not true. In your spirit, you are right this moment the way that Jesus is. Can you accept that? This isn't saying that you have the potential to be like Jesus if you'll just study the Word and pray enough and do all of these things. No, right now, as Jesus is, right this second, how do you think Jesus is? Awesome. He's perfect. He's pure. He knows everything. There is no sin in him. There's no weakness. That's exactly the way that your spirit is. Your spirit is perfect as Jesus is. So are you in this world. Again, people will read a verse like that and they'll say, that can't be. And they look in the mirror and they think, man, this can't be the way that Jesus is. They'll search their emotions and they just got mad at their mate and they've done something and they'll think Jesus isn't lying and they just can't perceive it with their five senses. And so they say, I just can't understand the Bible. That's because you don't understand spirit, soul, and body. You don't understand that it's your spirit that is like Jesus. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, I, read, I quoted verse 14 just a moment ago, and it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 2, 16, that we have the mind of Christ. And some people think, oh, yeah, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ, but you can't even find your glasses. 
they're on top of your head and you can't remember where you put them. And you come to school and you flunk your test and say, this is so hard, man, I don't have the mind of Christ. This isn't talking about your peanut brain up here. This is talking about in the spirit, you have the mind of Christ. You know everything that Jesus knows. And some of you are thinking, well, what good does it do me as long as it's in my spirit? I need it out here where I can use it. Again, I've got hours of teaching on this. <laughs> but here's a real quick answer. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, when you pray in tongues, your spirit prays. When you pray in tongues, your spirit prays, not your brain, your spirit, the part of you that has the mind of Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, if anybody prays in tongues, pray also that you may interpret and all you've got to do is when you don't know what to do, when you come to a dead end and you reach the end of your understanding, you say, Father, thank you that I have the mind of Christ. First John chapter two, verse 20 says, I have an unction. That means a special anointing from the Holy One and I know all things. Father, thank you. Colossians chapter three, verse 10, my new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Father, thank you that in my spirit, I've got this knowledge. So I'm going to pray in tongues and now I pray that I interpret. And you know what will happen? God will start giving you supernatural understanding and explain things to you. Speaking in tongues isn't something you do just to prove that you got the Holy Spirit or to have a goosebump go up and down your spine. When you speak in tongues, your spirit is praying. It's like sticking a bucket down in this part of you that is righteous and truly holy and has the mind of Christ. And you start speaking out, the spirit starts flowing. It's just like finding a switch where you turn on the power of the Holy Ghost. And when you pray in tongues, man, the spirit starts flowing through you. And all you've got to do is have your understanding become fruitful. I could give you a thousand examples of where I haven't known what to do. And I've prayed in tongues and said, God, show me. And I mean, boom, just all of a sudden, supernatural wisdom comes and God shows me what to do. Yeah. Speaking in tongues is powerful. That's why the devil fights it. Right. And people with just their natural mind, they think this is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to your brain unless you have faith and interpret it and God will speak to you and show you things. And I tell you, it's one of the most powerful things. You can't be really successful as a Christian and receive what God's got for you without the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. In your spirit, you've already got everything. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And the word for one there is the Greek word hes, H-E-I-S, and it means a singular one to the exclusion of another. We aren't one in the sense that we're parallel. He's up here and we're down here. We are one, ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, if there are those kind of things in the spirit. You are identical to Jesus in your spirit. And if somebody's saying, oh, I'd never say that. I couldn't say that. Well, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Yeah. If you wouldn't say that I've got the Spirit of Christ, then you aren't truly born again. To be born again, this is what it means. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, I think it's around verse 4, 6, somewhere in there, it says that once we believe, he sends forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
If you are a true Christian, you are God-possessed. God lives on the inside of you. Jesus lives on the inside of you. It is like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. If you are a true Christian, if you aren't just religious, acknowledging that God exists, even the devil acknowledges that God exists, that's not salvation. Salvation is when you submit your life to him and welcome him into your life and you become a brand new person and you become this new person and you are righteous and holy and pure. And as Jesus is, so are you. You are identical with him. Your spirit is one with him. Everything that's true of Jesus is true of you in your spirit. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, that verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall I do. See, one of the reasons most people don't see the real power of God manifest in their life is because they believe God can do anything. They believe God's almighty, but they see this great gulf between them and God, and how do I get it? And so if they even believe God for a miracle, if they are even asking for a miracle, they think that he's out there and they've got to pray the power of God down. They've got to ask God to stretch forth his hand and to do something. But the truth is, the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now indwells you if you are born again. It's here. It's not out there. And because people don't understand this, this is why we say so many stupid things in our prayers. We say, oh God, just come and be with us today. What a stupid prayer. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And yet you're asking him to come. And we'll say, well, that prayer didn't get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayer to get above your nose. God's right here. That's the reason you bow your head when you pray is so you can say, Father, amen. See, we need to quit thinking, God, you could do something. You have done nothing, but you could do it. Oh, God, come and heal me. No, you've already got the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. And it's not a matter of asking God to move in your life. It's a matter of you believing that he's done it when you pray and accept him and then learning how to release him, to take your authority and command it to come to pass. That's a totally different attitude. And it comes because people think that I'm only human. They look in the mirror. They search their emotions. Well, I'm just a normal person, but God, I believe you can do anything. You're missing it. You don't know who you are in the spirit. You aren't worshiping him in spirit and in truth. You aren't coming before him in your spirit. You aren't standing in what Christ has done. You are still trying to get him to do something as if he hadn't done it. But the truth is you've already got it. That's what that uh, study guide that I gave away tonight was all about. You've already got it. It's got a picture of a dog chasing his tail on the front. And you know what? When a dog catches his tail, he already had it. Some of you are asking God to heal you. You're already healed. 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes you were healed. It's already done. So if you're already healed, why are you asking him to heal you? Well, it's because I'm not healed. Well, your physical body may not be manifesting, but you've got healing, the same healing power living in your spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And all you got to do is release it. 
Now that's easier said than done. There's a million things that are involved in releasing it, but man, finding out that you've already got it is 90% of the battle. Once I found out these truths and I saw that in my spirit, I was like him already, that I had the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in me bodily. First, uh, where's that? First Timothy chapter two, verse 11 or something like that, 10 or 11. Once I found out I already had it, well then, man, that was 90% of the battle. Once I knew I had it, I knew I was gonna release it. I wasn't gonna quit until I did release it. But see, if you think, well, maybe God could do it, well, you get tired in a hurry because you've prayed and you've fasted, you've done everything you know to do and God hadn't moved yet. But if you know that you've already got it, how can you doubt that you'll get it if you've already got it? You know, even an old blind squirrel will come up with a nut every once in a while if it doesn't quit. I didn't know very much, but man, once I saw this, I'd never heard of Copenhagen, Copeland and Hagen. I'd never heard of them before. I didn't know about faith teaching, but once I saw that the same God who healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, raised the dead, lived on the inside of me, and he said, I had this power. Once I saw that, I started praying for everything that moved. And you know what? I saw blind eyes open. I saw deaf ears open. I saw people raised from the dead before I fully understood what I'm telling you tonight. But I just knew it was in here somewhere and I knew I was going to get it out. I wasn't going to stop until I get, did get it out. I tell you, this totally transformed my life. And one of the greatest things that it did for me, again, I saw the holiness of God like I think most people haven't seen. And I saw my relative unworthiness and I was really having a conflict. How could a holy God love an unholy me? And I finally saw it because God is a spirit, John 4, 24. And God looks at me in the spirit and in the spirit, I am righteous and holy and pure as Jesus is. So am I in the spirit. And God looks at me and he's as pleased with me in my spirit as he is with Jesus because my spirit is his spirit. We are one spirit. I can come boldly into the throne of God. And if an angel stood in my way and said, what makes you worthy? I could do what Paul did and say, if an angel says any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached, let him be accursed. If an angel tried to stop me from coming to God, I, I've got greater power and authority than an angel because I've got the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ living on the inside of me. I began to start seeing myself differently. And you know what? I still see all the flaws in my flesh. If I was God, I wouldn't have picked me. <laughs> Amen. I listen to myself sometimes on television and I think, God, you, you certainly bound to have found somebody more qualified than I am to speak. <laughs> but you know, I, I see the problems in me and I know that I'm not perfect in my flesh, but in my spirit, that's who I am. And in my spirit, I can raise the dead. I've seen four people raised from the dead. I can see awesome miracles. I see blind eyes open. We see miracles happen. Not because of who I am, but because of who I am in Christ Jesus. And if you've been born again, every one of you have the same thing. The only difference is you got a spirit, soul, and body, and your soul is over here in agreement with your body. You're looking in the mirror. 
You're going by what you feel, and you don't feel a goosebump running up and down your spine. You haven't seen a vision yet, and so you don't have confidence that God's going to flow through you. What you've got to do is get to where you let the Word be spirit and truth, and you have to just start believing what the Word says. And if you could believe these things that I'm talking about, see who you are in Christ, I guarantee you, you would start manifesting the supernatural power that's on the inside of you. One of the reasons that people don't experience the greater manifestation of God is because they don't believe they've got it. They think it's too much effort to get it. They don't want to be disappointed, and so they just quit because it's too much effort. But if you understood that you've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead, you would not let your aches and pains continue on. But we get this feeling that it's so hard to receive from God because we think God's power is out there and you got to pray through the demons and get past the, all of these things that are blocking your prayers and all of this stuff. It just hinders you from operating in this. Once you understand that I've already got it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, that means past tense, already done, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're already blessed. And yet how many people say, oh God, bless me. How many people say, oh God, just give me more faith when the Bible says that you have faith as a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23. Faith is already there, and you've got the same faith that Jesus had. Man, that's another great teaching I've got. I hadn't got time to verify that, but I could show you that in many scriptures. You don't have a faith problem. You've got a knowledge problem. Faith is based on knowledge. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, All things that pertain unto life and godliness come through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. And then verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. The knowledge of God gave us these exceeding great and precious promises. The word of God is the knowledge of God. So if all things come through the knowledge of him, then ye, all things come through the scripture. I've seen a bumper sticker before that says, ignorance is bliss. That's absolutely a lie. What you don't know is killing you. There are some of you that have cancer, that have terminal diseases, and you're praying and asking God to heal you, not knowing that God has already placed the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's not up to God to heal you. He put that power on the inside of you, and now he told you to speak to your mountain. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. You have to speak to your mountain, not talk to God about your mountain, but talk to your mountain about God. And yet most people are saying, oh God, please heal me. I know you can do it. Would you please stretch forth your hand? You'll die like that. But if you would say, Father, thank you that I've got it. I believe that I'm a new person and in my spirit, I've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now I take that authority and cancer in the name of Jesus, you get out of my body. Yeah. Body in the name of Jesus, you straighten up. Cold, I command you to leave. Yeah. That's different. 
Do you know the way most people pray? It's pray, it's chicken's prayers. Anybody can pray, oh God, we are nothing, we have nothing, but we know that you're all things. Would you please move, pretty please, if it be your will, for Jesus' sake, amen. Anybody can pray that kind of prayer. And if something happens, well, thank you, Jesus. And if nothing happens, well, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> we don't know why God does what he does. But you know what? When you stand up and say, body in the name of Jesus, I talk to you and I command you to be healed. That's a risky prayer because you're taking responsibility. You're taking authority. You aren't just waiting on God. You know, God's done his part. God's waiting on you to believe and stand up and release the power of God. Jesus never told us to pray for the sick. There are examples of people praying for the sick. I'm not saying that you don't do it, but Jesus never told us to pray for the sick. Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 9 says, you heal the sick. It's a command. He said, you preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you receive, freely give. He never told you to ask him to heal people. He gave you the healing power and he told you to go heal people. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour of prayer and they saw a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. We find out in the fourth chapter, he had been lame for th uh, 38 years. And when they saw him, they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. They didn't ask God to heal this man. They said, such as I have give I unto thee. Did you know that would get him kicked out of nearly any church in Wichita? If a person was to stand up and say, I've got the resurrection power of Jesus, they'd say, you arrogant thing. You're nothing. With Jesus said in John chapter 5, I believe it's verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. You're nothing without Jesus. I agree with that. Without Jesus, I am absolutely a zero with the rim knocked off. I am not proclaiming myself righteousness. But here's what I'm saying. I'm never without Jesus. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. And in the spirit, not in my flesh, but in my spirit, I am the righteousness of God. I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And I can truthfully say that such as I have, I have the ability to raise from the dead, to open up blind eyes. So to every one of you, there's people that think, well, certain ministers, you know, you can do those things. You're holy. No, this is for Joe Blow, Jane Doe, Christian. If you've been born again, every one of you have raising from the dead power. Why don't we use it? First of all, people don't use it because they don't know that they have it. And then they don't understand that God isn't imputing our sins unto us. They think he's looking on our outside, on our actions. And every one of us has a guilty conscience because we aren't the person that we're supposed to be. We haven't let the word of God purge us the way that we should. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, the very last part of that verse, it says, you should have no more conscience of sin. You should not be sin conscious. And yet most people are. 
because they don't understand spirit, soul, and body. They think that what you see in the mirror and what you feel in your mind is all there is to you. And you don't know that there's a third part of you that has been born again, that is as righteous and pure and holy as Jesus is. Your spirit right this moment is as clean and pure as it will be in eternity. It'll never get any better. One third of your salvation is over. Your spirit is as pure and holy as Jesus and the rest of the Christian life is the renewing of your mind and then obeying and acting on what God's Word says. And to the degree that you can get your mind renewed, you can begin to start walking in the same power that Jesus did because it is literally Christ living on the inside of you. And the only thing that's keeping you from manifesting it is stinking thinking. That's it. As quickly as you can renew your mind, you can start walking in this supernatural power of God. I tell you what, this transformed my life. I've never gotten over it. I never plan on getting over it. It's totally changed my life. And because of it, you know, here we are. Some of you, you don't have my perspective. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm saying this, thank you, Jesus. But my wife and I started in such, so much poverty. When she was eight months pregnant, we went two weeks with nothing but water. We had nothing. Our first year of marriage, our total income was $1,253 for 12 months. And that was with $100 a month rent. Our second year, we jumped up to $2,500. We struggled. But you know what? I got my mind renewed. I began to see these things. And here we are building a $53 million facility debt-free during the quote-unquote Great Recession we have to have $2.8 million a month just to pay our bills. And I give all of my materials away. Go figure that. You know what? It works. Some of you think, well, I don't agree with you. Well, show me the results that you're getting. How many people have you been raised from the dead? Amen. I've been sick once or twice in 45 years, and that's because of stupidity because I ministered 45 times one week and 41 times the following week, and I just literally preached myself sick. And I've had to slow down. I mean, that was stupidity is the only reason that happened. But I've been walking in divine health. I see supernatural things happen. Until you start getting better results, don't tell me that your way works better. This is normal Christian life. Jesus said... In Mark chapter 16, I think it's verse 17 or 18, it says, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That is a normal believer. If you aren't casting out devils, speaking in new tongues, walking in the supernatural power of God, it's not me that's weird, it's you that's weird. If we have all of this power of God, why don't we use it? It's because the church hasn't seen this. And you know, in my way of thinking, this is what hindered me, and I think this is true of most people. The reason most people don't live this way is because they're only looking at the physical. They're what the Bible calls carnal. Some people think the word carnal means terrible sinner, evil person. The word carnal means of the five senses. 
you are dominated only by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. If you're a person that just goes by your senses, you're carnal. The word carnal, physically, naturally, the, the Greek word for carnal is carne, and it means the flesh as stripped of skin. In other words, not your outer layer of skin, but the flesh, the meat below. And matter of fact, when you say chili con carne, that's the same word, chili with meat. The word carne means meat. So when you say a person is carnally minded, you're calling them a meathead. <laughs> the word carnal just means that you are locked into what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And you can't believe that there's angels in this place because you can't see them. You can't believe that there's a spirit on the inside of you because if it was, you'd just know it. You can't believe that you're righteous because you're carnal. You're looking on the outside and you, you can't operate by faith. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, that the carnal mind is in, uh, verse 5, I think it is, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot have a relationship with God, a positive relationship with God, if you are controlled only by the carnal senses. You have to get into the spirit to perceive things. They're spiritually discerned. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I just believe that the Holy Spirit has given you understanding of what I'm saying because this changed my life. When I started seeing things through the spirit, when I started listening with my heart and seeing with my heart instead of just my brain, the word of God came alive to me. I can't open the Bible without God speaking to me, shouting at me. I see things that I couldn't see before. I know things that I didn't know before. We've come from that abject poverty to paying for all of this stuff debt-free during a time of recession because of these things that I'm talking about. There's some of you that heard the reports about the recession and because you're carnal. I'm not saying that to criticize. I'm just trying to get my point across. But because you're carnal, well, you heard that we're in a recession, so you started believing and planning on it. How's that working for you? <laughs> but you know what? During the same period of time, the Lord, that's when he told me we needed to expand. We need to accommodate this growth. And during that same period of time, we started believing God for extra and we have more than doubled since the Great Recession. In the last four years, we're up nearly two to three times or something like that in income and stuff because you know what? I just chose not to participate. The Bible says that my God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is not bound to the U.S. economy. Some of you are saying, but you don't know. My company laid off. God's got ways of getting money to you. It's... Anyway, I don't want to get off and preach on that. But I'm saying that if you were to walk by the Spirit, God will give you creative ideas. I just saw on the Internet a woman that became a millionaire in three months off of just some little idea that she had. God can get money to you. Money is not a problem. Thank you for that one. Come on. <laughs> I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. 
I'm telling you, I believe that this is the way that a normal Christian should be. If we're really born again, if we're really changed, then it shouldn't have to take effect just when you die and go to heaven. It says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil world, not just the one to come. Yes, heaven is a blast. Heaven's going to be awesome. I'm not diminishing that, but he said he came to deliver us from this present evil world. You ought to be free from sickness. Christians should not be sick. I'm not saying that they sin if they get sick, but I'm saying that we've got the power to overcome it. We shouldn't accept sickness. I gave an invitation last night and asked for people that were sick to stand. And I bet you 95% of every person in there, there was over a thousand people, they all stood. That's a shame. It's a shame. Matter of fact, sometimes Christians are sicker than the lost people. It's not supposed to be that way. We've got this life of God in us. Why aren't we manifesting it? I'm telling you, one of the big reasons is what I've been talking about tonight. You don't know who you are in the spirit. You know yourself in the natural. If I was to call you on the phone and say, are you coming tonight? How will I know you? You could describe yourself to me. You could tell me if you're male or female, tall or short. You could tell me all kinds of things about yourself. But if I was to ask you, who are you in Christ? What do you have? Average Christian doesn't even have a clue. They don't even know that there is a part of them that they can't see or feel. And because of it, what we don't know is killing us. God's people perish for a lack of knowledge. Man, we need to renew our minds. We need to find out. And I've got, I could easily say, I've got 100 to 200 hours of teaching on what I've been talking about tonight, who you are, what you have what your potential is, how to release it, how to use it. Brothers and sisters, we need to renew our mind. We need to start walking in these things. There's no reason. It's not God who's holding back. It's us that have clogged up the pipe through our unbelief and our stinking thinking. So man, it's up to us. We've got to renew our minds so that we can prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You know, one of the, there's, there's two things that every person must have, regardless of what God has called you to do, regardless of where you live or anything. Two things every person must have. Jesus said you must be born again. If you've listened to me tonight, and maybe you're a person who believes in the existence of God, and you've been trying to be a good person, but if you could just imagine that you died and you stood before God, and if he says, what makes you worthy to enter into heaven? How would you answer? Would you point to your goodness? Would you point to, well, I go to church and I'm doing the best I can and I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. I'm living better than I ever have. The moment you start pointing to your self-righteousness, you will be sent to hell. The only thing that makes you worthy to enter into heaven is the fact that you have a savior. You have been born again. You're changed. And so even if you're a religious person, if you're a good person, but if you've been trusting in yourself and relating to God based on your own performance, you need to humble yourself and quit standing in your own self-righteousness and you need to be born again. You need to make Jesus your Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
So you have to make Jesus your Lord. That's more than just mouthing the words. That means you are making him your Lord. You're turning your life over to him. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect because you can't be perfect. You will fail, but you have to be willing and wanting for him to be your Lord. You have to yield and say, God, I can't save myself. Forgive me. And I receive salvation. If you've never done that, you have to do that. That's a starting place. And until you do that, nothing I've said tonight applies to you. If you haven't made Jesus your Lord, you don't have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. You aren't as Jesus is. You aren't created in righteousness and holiness. You are by nature a sinner and you must be born again. You must be changed. So if that has never happened to you, you need to make Jesus your Lord tonight. And then the second thing is that every person who gets born again, Jesus told the people that you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. He told his disciples after he was raised from the dead, don't tell anybody that I'm raised from the dead. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. He said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive power from on high. And when they received, they spoke in tongues. All through the book of Acts, they spoke in tongues. I know some of you came to this meeting not knowing that I'm a tongue talker because I'm not like the typical guy on television that screams and shouts and wipes his fevered brow and says, glory to God. <laughs> and you just didn't realize I was one of those tongue talkers, but I am. I've received it. And I'm telling you, you wouldn't have ever seen me on television. You'd have never seen me stand in front of a group of this many people if I hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it changed my life. And I'm just testifying to you that you are not going to be an effective Christian without receiving the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Somebody's thinking, do you have to speak in tongues? No, you don't. But you get to speak in tongues. It is a tremendous privilege. It's an honor. Well, do you believe you have to have this gift of speaking in tongues to go to heaven? No, you can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit and you can get there quicker if you don't have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You're going to die of something along the way. But if you want the fullness of what God has, he said you would receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you need to receive it. So is there anybody in here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those things and I want you to pray with me and help me to receive. Either you need to be born again you need to make Jesus your Lord and or you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you and help you to receive. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you are. Be bold. Man, there's people all over. You know, I know that there's some others who are thinking, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to give you a free book that will explain what salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit's all about. I hadn't got anything for you to join. We aren't going to come down here and push you over. We aren't going to do anything to you. I'm just wanting to bless you. Somebody says, well, I'm not sure about that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I am. If you aren't sure, you ought to trust somebody who is sure. Amen. 
There are some of you that have heard me testify about my son being raised from the dead or miracles happening, and you say, man, I'd like to have that. And here I am telling you what caused it. You want the fruit, but you reject the root. That doesn't make sense. I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what changed my life and allowed these things to happen. And I don't care what your church says. That's the reason I'm not meeting in your church. I'm telling you this is what the Bible teaches. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you hadn't got a thing to lose. You know, if, we're, if you're just totally carnal, thinking about this in the worst possible light. Come down here and we pray for you and give you a free book and you go home with a free book and nothing the worse. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. You got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. Amen. So if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, but you were too chicken to do it, would you just get up out of your seat, come forward, stand right here, and we're going to pray with you and we're going to help you to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Man, let's praise God for all of these. Amen. Hallelujah. Just come right down here in front. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people just like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. You can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. Or you can write us at Post Office Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Remember, you can always listen to Andrew's messages at awmi.net. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.